What is up, my gamers? This is Ryan Geyser here with another episode of I Wanna Watch the Very Best because Gotta Watch Em All was unfortunately taken. That's quite the L, as the kids would say, isn't it? <laughs> so you may ask yourself, Ryan, what's with all this radical, on-point gamer talk you're using? Well, my friend, it's because this weekend, when this episode goes live, I'll be at PAX East. That's right, you can find me there, if you can. This is a public challenge? You will have to hunt me down? Please don't actually, th this is just more gamer talk, don't, don't actually hunt me down, please. But um, yeah, I think PAX East is going to be a pretty fun time. I think I'm going to have a good time there. I'm probably going to be playing a lot more indie games this year because it's looking like a lot of the big names in the industry just aren't showing up. Like, I could be wrong, they could just not be listed, but I'm not seeing, like, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, any of those guys. It's, like, all smaller companies. So this is going to be interesting. There are also a couple voice actors there that I would love to meet and hope I get the chance to. It all depends on how big their line is. One of them, I know for a fact, is going to be giant, so... We'll see with that. But it'll be cool if I get in. It's something I'm looking forward to. Um, I wish I could tell you how my experience is currently, because this episode's going up on Friday. I will be there for my second day that day. But, you know, I'm recording this on the Sunday beforehand, so I, I don't know. I would love to tell you, but I'm scheduling this episode a week out. So maybe PAX is canceled, even. Maybe this episode goes up and PAX is canceled. <laughs> I don't know. I hope not. I would lose all my gamer prep. It would it would tear me apart. So because of that, I will probably have a lot more to say at the beginning of next episode. But for this one, um let's just jump right into it. Let's let's start up right away. Episode 33, The Flame Pokémonathon. Synopsis. The group arrives at a Pokémon ranch just in time to watch an annual race. However, after one of the riders is injured in a plot by Team Rocket and a rival racer, she asks Ash to ride her ponyta for her. Ash must now quickly figure out how to handle this new Pokemon and win the race! Walking into a wide open field, the group is happy to learn that they finally arrived in the Safari Zone. They aren't actually, but since the Safari Zone episode is skipped due to the infamous gun touting in it, they claim this is the actual location. Or at least close to it. Before they're able to celebrate, a giant dust cloud rushes towards them, which is revealed to be a giant horde of Tauros that rum past the group. Ash tries to have Pikachu battle them, but Pikachu feigns napping to get out of fighting a giant herd of bulls. Misty comments that Pikachu may be a bit outnumbered, so Ash is like, I know that! Charmander, you do it! As the tiny lizard is about to ember an entire stampede, a Growlithe jumps out of nowhere and lands on top of it, doing a cute little howl. Ash has Charmander push it off and flamethrower it, but is met with a fire burst back. Ash recalls it, and just as he's about to send out Squirtle in exchange, a girl yells at him to stop and nearly crushes him with a ponyta. The girl scolds Ash for trying to catch a Pokemon on a Pokemon reserve, which is an area outside the Safari Zone, where it's illegal to capture Pokemon. Brock then imitates her southern accent when hitting on her. You grew up right pretty yourself, miss! What's the name of this here place? After hearing and understanding Ash's ignorance on the matter, she introduces herself as Lara Laramie, a member of the Laramie Big P Ranch. Taking the group to see some of the stables she's in charge of, Misty asks if Ponyta's flame hurts to ride on, with Lara explaining that 
Its mane doesn't burn anyone the Pokemon trusts. I'll try to keep the accent down. I'm sorry. It's just too fun to do. Ash decides to test this, trying to pet the horse, only to get his hand incinerated. Lara then offers the group to join a party they're having that night and sleep over to watch a big annual Pokemon race in the morning. As she finishes up explaining what the race is, surprise, it's a Pokemon race, and that the winner will become an honorary Laramie clan member, another stampede rumbles towards them, this one a giant herd of Dodrio. The leader of this stampede, Dario, rides over on one of them, boasting that he's going to win the race before riding off again. That night, the group walks around a large festival that the ranch holds, as everyone compliments Lara and wishes her luck on the race. Dario then rushes over and warns that her Tauros are going crazy, and as she rides off on Ponyta to check them, Dario smiles evilly. Dun dun dun. Seeing the Tauros doing something violent to each other, I guess, Lara has Growlithe jump in and run around them until they calm down. Just as everything seems to be resolving, a shadow jumps out of the bushes in front of Ponyta, spooking it into bucking Lara off, injuring her arm. Ash's group finally catches up, with Ash trying to calm Ponyta down while Misty tends to Lara. After some effort, Ash actually manages to calm the Pokemon down, to Lara's surprise. Team Rocket, watching on, proudly admires their work, revealing that they riled up the Tauros and spooked Ponyta. It was them all along! Dario compliments their work, and they confirm their plan. Team Rocket helps Dario win the race and become a Laramie Clan member, and he funnels some of that big ranch money into the trio's hands. They then laugh really loudly, somehow not being heard by anyone nearby. Back at Lara's house, she sadly decides that, with her injury, she won't be able to participate in the race, but then suddenly suggests that Ash ride Ponyta in it for her. Ash at first worries that Ponyta will burn him again, but after some encouragement from Lara and his friends, agrees to it. He then tries to pet Ponyta again, but has his hand burned to a crisp once more. Lara yells at Ponyta and then calmly asks it to trust Ash for the race, saying that if it can win with a new rider, that'll prove it's the best racing Pokemon of all, causing it to agree to the terms as well. Lara takes Ash outside, where he manages to safely climb onto Ponyta's back. Celebrating not being burned, he accidentally spooks it again, causing it to buck him off and run, with Ash holding onto its tail. I always thought that their tails were just pure flame, but I guess not. I guess there's something solid and grabbable under there. His friends watch on in disappointment as it fades to the next morning. As the race starts, Ash approaches the starting line on Ponyta, with Brock and Misty joining the race as well on Starmie and Onyx respectively. Pikachu also enters, riding on Squirtle, which is just a fascinating situation that I can't even properly comment on, but I love it all the same. The race then begins, with all the challengers rushing past the starting line. Squirtle and Pikachu almost immediately struggle, getting a face full of dust. Dario then manages to rush into a lead on the other racers, while a metallic bead is shot by Team Rocket at one of the racing Tauros, causing it to rampage and stab Anita Arena right in the butt. Like, seriously, that looked painful. The two Pokemon then start fighting, putting them too far behind the race to conceivably catch up. Next up, the racers have to have their Pokemon run up a 45-degree hill to test their endurance. Dario remains in the lead, with Ash tied with some guy on Eradicate. Pikachu and Squirtle tiredly trudge up the hill as well. On the downward slope part of the climb, some guy balancing on an electrode like a ball just rolls down the hill super fast. 
I'm impressed he made it to the top of the hill like that. Like, that seems really hard. Unfortunately for him, he falls right into a pitfall that was dug by the Rockets. They got really lucky with the placement of that one. If it wasn't that one guy in particular who fell into it, he might have actually won the race. The Electro then explodes just as Ash and two other riders try to pass it, knocking them all down. Dang, Team Rocket got really lucky with that hole! Pikachu zaps his trainer and the Ponyta back into action, which Ponyta actually takes surprisingly well, and the two get back into the race. The Voltorb rider is probably dead though, he was like right on top of the blast. The two other trainers don't get up either, so... Uh, don't worry about them. The second obstacle the racers arrive at are a bunch of rock platforms spanning a river. Dodrio quickly hops across them, as Brock and some guy on the Rhyhorn come up close behind them. After both rock Pokemon look nervously at the water, the Rhyhorn jumps onto the first stone, which then promptly sinks, taking both the Pokemon and its rider down with it. Brock pats his onyx on the head and more or less recreates the scene from Spongebob where Patrick is like, It's okay, Rocky, you can go when you feel like it. That's okay. We tried. Pikachu and Misty quickly speed ahead in this portion, due to Squirtle and Starmie easily swimming in the water. Ponyta is also pretty effectively able to jump across the rocks, while Ash keeps happily yelling at it to go faster. One of the final obstacles has the Pokemon descend down a deep hill with different rock outcroppings, each having a plate of food on it that the Pokemon has to finish before it's allowed to move on. Okay, I'm 100% on board with this race now. The other obstacles were fun, I guess, but the speed-eating portion is a great addition. I want to watch like a real horse race or something do something like this. That would be really fun. Maybe they already do. I don't know. I don't watch racing. Dodrio arrives first, but the three heads begin fighting over the food, causing Dario to become upset and angry at losing their lead. Just as Ash, Misty, and Pikachu arrive as well, Dario commands Team Rocket to get to work, as black smoke begins to cover the track. The Rockets reveal themselves, and no one apparently heard Dario yell for them. I also want to share this bit of dialogue just because I really like Jesse's delivery. We don't have time to play around with you three stooges! How dare you compare us to the- I mean, uh, come on up, I'd like to have a word with you. Team Rocket also revealed that they caused Lara to suffer her injury, before Ash tells Pikachu and Squirtle to start battling. They're in the middle of eating, but then quickly stop to engage a fighting stance, as Arbok comes out and uses Glare to freeze them in place. Misty then also joins the fight, but Weezing sludges her starfish into blindness. Sensing that they have the upper hand, they tell Dario to get a move on, and, no longer even trying to be sneaky about it, he thanks them before continuing the race. Misty yells at Ash to forget about Team Rocket and finish the race, but Ash hesitates long enough for Arbok to charge with a Poison Sting attack. Which looks more like a bite, but whatever, they called it Poison Sting. However, Ponyta flares its flame up safely around Ash, stopping Arbok from reaching them. Weezing then, without any provocation, uses a smoke-spewing attack on it, which then lights on fire and explodes Team Rocket into the sky. The cameras for the spectators then turn back on to reveal Dario's lead. Why they were off in the first place, I don't really have any idea because they were only obscured momentarily by the smoke, which was very quickly cleared. Ponyta, still surrounded by flame, begins to quickly catch up, eventually tying with Dodrio. The bird then gives Ponyta a gentle little peck, causing it to fall behind slightly. However, determined to win and strengthened by the experience of this race, Ponyta suddenly glows, evolving into Rapidash and catching up with Dodrio again. 
The two riders then reach the finish line at the same time, with a sign above it reading Ghoul. Yeah, that's a fun typo. It's G-O-O-L. They kind of forgot the A there. As standard with these kind of racing stories, Rapidash wins by just the slightest bit of passing the finish line first. Dario, infuriated, calls Ash a cheater, the irony very explicitly being lost on him. He tries to have Dodrio attack Rapidash in retaliation, but his hind leg kicked by the large horse into the stratosphere. Ash is given the victory, with Laura congratulating him and thanking him for his help. That sunset, despite it being a terrible time to start walking as it's going to be dark soon, Ash's group heads off, with Laura directing them towards the safari zone. Which A, the narrator said they were already in, and B, we will never actually get to see in the dub anyway. The heroes head off, as Laura assures Ash that he'll definitely become a Pokemon master. As the episode ends, we then see Dario yelling at the tied-up Team Rocket, blaming them for his loss. The Rockets then insult his clothing in response, and Dodrio starts pecking at them repeatedly. Their vaguely ticklish-sounding cries ringing out in the distance as the scene transitions to the Pokerap, with Dario never suffering severe consequences for his actions in the slightest. Now, I know I kept switching between Dario and Dario, but that's because I honestly don't remember which it is, and to be frank, I don't really care. He's a bad man. I shouldn't care what his name is. Honestly, I really like this episode. It's a super fun little filler episode that can be enjoyed as a nice break after the gym leader one, with almost no battling and instead just a bunch of silly Pokemon antics in a self-contained, simple story. There's not much wrong with it, and not much crazy notable about it, so... All in all, just a good old-fashioned fun time. Rest in peace to all of the racers that died in the making of this episode, though. May they find victory in the afterlife. Alrighty, next up on the docket today is... Episode 34, The Con Kid! Synopsis. Continuing through the region near the Safari Zone, Ash and his friends learn of a wild human child that was raised by Kangaskhan and has been protecting them from poachers in an obvious Tarzan parody. But when the boy's parents arrive, having been searching for him, it conflicts with his quest to save the Pokemon from Team Rocket's new plan. The Pika gang somehow went from a grassy pasture to a full-fledged jungle in just a short distance, with the narrator, once again, incorrectly claiming they're in the Safari Zone. Ash, excited by all the Pokemon they're surrounded by, is eager to start catching. Brock warns they might still be in the Pokemon Reserve, though, but Ash is like, Uh, Brock, there are too many Pokemon here to be the Reserve. Clearly, we're in the Safari Zone! Spotting a Chansey popping out of the bushes, Ash is about to throw a Pokeball at it. But it stands up suddenly to reveal itself to be Officer Jenny, who promptly points a rifle at Ash and demands he drops his Pokeball, then arrests them for Pokemon poaching. Remember, the next episode was banned for showing guns, just keep that in mind. Back in Ranger Jenny's tent, she yells at the group for trying to catch Pokemon in a restricted area, but after Ash apologizes, she lets them off with a gentle but stern warning. Just as she does, however, an alarm starts beeping, showing a spot on her map where poacher activity is taking place. How it does this, I'm not sure, but it's a pretty cool piece of tech. As Jenny is about to drive off, Ash asks if him and his group can help to make up for causing trouble, which Jenny agrees to. Which is kind of wild, because poachers generally aren't known for being the most nonviolent criminals, and you're just bringing kids with you to just say hello. 
The poachers are revealed to be, shocker, Team Rocket, the only villains Generation 1 has. They recite their motto, Meowth yells at them for wasting time, and then Jesse and James pull out a giant bazooka gun. Ranger Jenny arrives shortly after, with Ash's Pokédex explaining that Kangaskhan are endangered and protected by law, which is a fun little anime-only detail that makes a couple trainers that appear later, including Ilima, criminals punishable by a year in prison. While Ash is distracted with the quest for knowledge, Team Rocket fires a rocket from their blaster, which explodes in the sky, drawing Jenny's attention to the trio, but also causing her to flee the now-spooked and stampeding Kangaskhan. Jenny slams her jeep in reverse, just narrowly avoiding the herd, as the Pokemon run into a net trap, all panicking. Team Rocket pulls up in their own jeep, calmly choosing which one they should capture first. Jenny is unable to pursue them, as her reverse dodge stump blew out the engine in this very garbage vehicle. Attempting to fix the engine instead of just sitting there, or even running up to them on foot and using her rifle again, seemingly never occurs to her. Just when all hope for the Kangaskhan seems lost, a boomerang flies out of nowhere and knocks away Jesse's Pokeball. A kid wearing a tiger print toga, which I can only assume is a skinned Arcanine given the context of this episode, flies out of the trees, yelling in Kangaskhan speak as he frees and directs the Pokemon out of the net. The boy then directs the Kangaskhan towards Team Rocket, with the herd beginning to juggle them and their car between each other before launching them away. The boy then hops into an extremely large one's pouch as the group walks away. Ash and Brock marvel at his ability to communicate with Pokemon, saying he'd make an amazing trainer, before they all suddenly hear a helicopter approach them. A man and woman then emerge and oh my god this man! The woman is kind of plain looking, but the man is like three feet tall, carrying a wooden cane, wearing a white tiger-striped patterned shirt, giant shoes, a round safari hat, has little swirls for cheeks, and has a chaplain-style mustache. Please look up a picture of this man, it is incredible. The two then explain that they're looking for their lost son, Tommy, and that someone may have seen him in the area. Jenny takes them back to her ranger tent, where they park the helicopter outside, somehow not blowing away everything as they land. Or they had Jenny drive it there when she fully managed to fix the engine, and just waited silently for her to do so instead of taking that time to explain anything. The woman then tells the story of how she lost her son. Five years ago, when Tommy was three, the family took a global vacation and was flying over this very jungle. His dad, wanting his son to get a closer look, holds him out of the open pilot's side window. The woman yells at him to pull their child back in, but the man continues to hold him out, then accidentally drops him. Don't worry about him, Mama. He just wants to get a closer look. What a smart boy our Tommy is. Thankfully, the boy had a parachute on that somehow opened before he hit the ground. However, when the two landed to look for him, all they found was the parachute, with the man blaming his wife for not holding their son better. The man then explains that they've been looking everywhere for him since. God, the kid is better off this way. Pikachu and Ash start crying, despite the story being one to elicit more of a concerned reaction, or fear, or anger, anything but sadness. However, after seeing a picture of a boy leading Kangaskhan, the parents recognize him as their older son and rush towards this jungle to gather details. Jenny, recognizing the boy as Tomo, member of the Pokemon herd, pulls up his address in the jungle. Ah, 
you mean Tomo? You won't have to look far. His address is listed right here in the Safari Zone directory. Make of that what you will. Ash, Misty, and Brock offer to help search for him. It then cuts to the man and woman comfortably riding a wooden platform that the Pokey Gang is being forced to carry. Jenny did not accompany them for some reason, despite having a car. Ugh, why did we have to go and open our big mouths? I apologize for this. Papa doesn't get outdoors much, and he's not in the best of shape. I admit it. The group then comes across an injured baby Kangaskhan all by itself, and drop the couple to go check on it. Brock, knowing the most Pokemon first aid out of the group, takes charge. In a scene that is pretty famous online, Brock warns the creature that uh, it may sting a little, but it will help. Upon spraying it, the baby screams like it's on fire. This'll sting a little, but it'll make your wound heal faster, I promise. <laughs> the boomerang then whirls out of the woods again, with Brock and Misty dodging to let Ash get hit square in the cheek with it. Tomo slash Tommy appears, demanding the group leave the baby alone. Misty then stops and scolds him, saying they were just trying to help. Cutting a scene where the young boy stares at Misty's boobs, which, you know, very justifiable cut, I think. He asks Misty if she's a Pokemon, causing her to hit him in anger. The parents then rush over to collect their child, telling him they're his parents and asking him to come home. Initially not remembering who they are due to being three when he was dropped, Misty forces him to stare at the two in order to make his faint bit of memories between sentience and falling out of a helicopter come back to him. But instead, all he remembers is the time spent with the Pokemon, having them gently sing to and comfort him in a very kind of nice sounding song that accidentally mixes the English and Japanese Kangaskhan cries. <laughs> Rejecting the humans as his parents, his dad then slams his cane on the boy's head, knocking him out to the mom's horror, with him insisting that, Oh, it'll be fine. We'll just bring him home and start from scratch. Arrest these people, please. While unconscious, Tommy's mom yells his name to wake him up, causing the boy to remember faintly being gently talked to by the same woman as a baby. Waking up, he calls the woman Mama to her joy. His father then asks, oh, do you remember me too? But Misty hits the man on the head with a giant log and drags him away, saying the boy only needs one memory at a time. However, conflicted over his loyalty to both his human and Pokemon mother, Tommy has trouble deciding who to stay with, having a crisis. But don't worry about that actual cool plot point, as Jenny conveniently shows up to warn everyone that the Poacher Rockets are back, saving us from having to deal with that really deep stuff. Tommy rushes off to help them, with Ash's crew hopping in Jenny's car to follow after him. His mother despairs at Tommy choosing the Kangas over him, but her husband encourages her not to give up. Back in the field with the Pokemon, Team Rocket shows up in a giant Mecha Kangaskhan, their first Mecha of the series excluding their submarine. In order to lure them over, Jesse imitates an injured one, which apparently is a good enough imitation that it actually works to lure a majority of the herd over. Now I will present my impression of an injured Kangaskhan for your enjoyment. Kangaskhan! 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 The big one tries to prevent the others from approaching, but is unsuccessful, as James uses a tranquilizer gun to subdue them from the inside of the mecha's mouth. He is an incredible shot, just hitting one after another dead on. 
Tommy tries to stop him, but his boomerang is ineffective. Team Rocket, instead of ignoring him to grab the Pokemon, turn their attention to the kid and shoot Rocket Hands at him. Ash's group shows up just in time, with Ash sending out Bulbasaur to restrain the mecha and Squirtle to Skull Bash it, while Tommy bangs on its head a bunch, all to very little success. The Rockets then start to drive right towards the small child, while Ash sends out Charmander and Pikachu. Tommy throws his boomerang again, knocking a gas cap off, which Ash's Pokemon then ignite. Refusing to give up, Team Rocket drives the flaming robot right towards the group, with Jenny driving them all away as fast as she can. Just as the Mecha is about to catch up with them, Tommy's parents fly in on their helicopter and ram it into the giant robot, causing Team Rocket to blast away, but also seemingly sacrificing themselves. A conflicting amount of time later, as it's now suddenly sunset, but everyone acts like it's moments after the crash, everyone mourns the loss of the two terrible parents whom Tommy cries for. However, from the wreck, muffled singing is heard, and the two adults suddenly pop out of it, wearing the same Arcanine togas as their son, declaring that they're going to join him in the Kangaskhan herd so that he can remain happy with both his families. As our protagonist group continues their journey the next day, Ash wonders if the family will be alright. Brock says ah, they'll be fine, since they love each other. You know, despite love not equating being a competent parent. Misty and Ash say that they'll have difficulties regardless, you know, due to the time apart and language differences. But seeing them all together in the large Kanga's pouch calling out goodbye in Pokemon cries, the group is confident they'll be just fine. Oh boy, there is a lot this episode. This is easily one of the most wild episodes of Pokemon there is. And all for what's more or less just a Tarzan parody filler episode. All because of this short, psychotic man and his family. It's so hard to talk about this because there is just so much to discuss. I honestly can't tell you if this episode is good or bad. The episodes in here will land differently, not just with different people, but also with the same person on different days. Like, one day you'll find the dad hilarious, other days infuriating, other days deeply, deeply unsettling. All I can say, I guess, is watch this episode. There were so many audio clips from this episode I wanted to insert into this, but I couldn't just because I didn't want this to more or less just become an audio version of the whole episode. Just like I said earlier, keep in mind that there was some gun pointing and firing in this episode, and that our next episode is... Episode 35, The Legend of Dratini. Synopsis! Finally reaching the Safari Zone, our heroes have a tense confrontation with the gun-loving Warden, who seems to be hiding some kind of secret about the elusive Pokemon Dratini. Team Rocket then appears and challenges Ash to a Pokemon catching contest, which is really just a front for them to hunt down the rare Pokemon for their own nefarious reasons. We're finally here, lads, the infamous Dratini episode. For anyone that may not be aware, this episode is well known due to being banned in most areas outside of Japan, due to the prevalence of firearms in it. Unlike Beauty and the Beach, which did get a dub later and was just heavily censored, this episode was just never dubbed and remained a Japanese exclusive, with many English fans not even knowing it existed. Thankfully, through the power of modern internet, we are able to view it with subtitles. 
However, due to it not being in English and this being a primarily English language based podcast, don't expect too many clips of this one. Also, keep in mind again that this episode was banned for gun usage. Even though there are several episodes before this that have guns pointed at people, specifically Ash, such as the people in the store in the Squirtle Squad episode, or Officer Jenny in the episode literally right before this one. So why this episode was singled out, especially with my idea on how they could fix it that I'll talk about later, I really couldn't say with certainty. Regardless, since this is one of the first non-English episodes to be in the way of our viewing experience, this is a great time to appreciate the original opening and closing of Pokemon. You know, we're used to the Pokemon theme at the start and the Pokerap at the ending, but the Japanese opening has its own song and the credits are their own unique thing too, with a lot of footage that never made it over to English because 4Kids kind of just cut the opening, spliced it around, put some other episodes in there, and just generally Frankensteined it together for their own opening. But it's really fun to see what other audiences got, what the original intent was. So we begin with an establishing shot of a grassy plain similar to the one at the ranch, with Pokemon all running around it living their own lives. Ash begins to sing along with the Pokemon Center theme, happy to have finally reached the Safari Zone, where he has a better chance of catching a Pokemon, something he hasn't done since arriving in the surrounding Safari Lands. Safari Zone Brock asks him to stop singing, fails, then asks Misty to ask him to stop too, but fails again. Deciding, uh, if you can't beat him, just join him. Brock yells sings at the top of his lungs as well, before a voice yells at him to shy up! The man, a grumpy cowboy looking guy, points a gun at them and warns them to stop singing or he'll shoot, causing the group to timidly agree. The man forgives them for Misty's womanly sake, then introduces himself as Kaiser, the Safari Zone's warden, leading them inside to his office. In there, he presents Ash with a basket of safari balls and a fishing rod. Ash reaches for them, but Kaiser pulls out his gun just as Brock pulls Ash back, with the warden giving the warning that the rod and balls are the only things allowed to be used in the Safari Zone, and if they break the rules, he won't hesitate to cap them with his gun, which he affectionately named Thunderbolt. Misty then notices a picture on the wall which features a younger Kaiser alongside a Dratini. As the group all crowds around to look at it, with Brock saying that the rumors of a Dratini being in the zone must be true, the man rushes over and angrily denies the rumors, snatching the picture and silencing Ash's protest with a guncock. Outside, he looks into the distance sadly, promising Dratini that no one will ever disturb it again. Really might want to just not have that picture out in the open if it's that big of a deal, my dude. Inside, Ash calls Oak, who says that he knows Kaiser very well. The professor tells the group that Kaiser discovered Dratini 30 years ago, but the rumors of its discovery drew in hordes of trainers who demolished and depopulated the area looking for the rare Pokemon, which remained hidden the whole time. This resulted in Kaiser's rule of 30 safari balls and fishing rod only, to avoid the disaster from happening again. Oak then yells at Ash to catch more Pokemon already, dang it! I'm bored! Give me something to do! Team Rocket, having been listening in from the roof, decide to capture Dratini themselves. Then Jesse has a better idea. Capture all the Pokemon in the Safari Zone! Yeah, that'll go over well. Just as Kaiser is letting the Poke crew into the zone, Team Rocket confronts them from the sign above the entrance. 
Kaiser demands they get down, but they ignore him and start their motto instead. Kaiser, having none of this, draws his gun and fires at them, several times as their motto and music get faster and faster. James then grabs the other two, jumping off the sign and deploying a parachute, saying he prepared it just for times like the- and they slam into the ground, not having much air time to deploy the chute. After getting up again, the Rockets challenge Ash to a fair game. Whoever catches the most Pokemon in the Safari Zone wins, with Team Rocket getting all their Pokemon if they win, or leaving Ash alone forever if he does. Ash is pretty sure that they are 100% lying, but decides to accept the challenge anyway, as a real Pokemon master wouldn't turn this game down. Jumping right into it, the first Pokemon Ash sees is a Tauros herd. Ash and Brock easily manage to each catch one, saying this is too easy. They next see a Rhyhorn, and as Ash is about to catch it, Tauros run in front of the ball, causing him to capture another one as the Rhyhorn escapes. Team Rocket watches on, happy that their plan is working. It's then revealed that they somehow managed to turn the table on Kaiser, using his own guns to hold him hostage. Jesse starts by threateningly and semi-seductively asking him where Dratini is, but he refuses to tell them and fights back, elbowing James right in the face and needing to be restrained by Arbok. Jesse then, seeing this isn't working, offers to go on a date with him if he tells her where the Dratini is. Kaiser seems interested in this, asking if it can be a real thing instead of a one-night stand, causing Jessie to switch to her super tan blondish girl costume and say, Haha, it's like rude to ask that right away, but I don't know, maybe I'd like consider it if you told us where the like Jatini was. He then declines, saying he doesn't like that type of girl. It then switches to James and Meowth trying a good cop bad cop on him in an interrogation room with Meowth wearing a vaguely Hitler-looking mustache. He refuses James' demands to tell him where the Pokemon is, but Meowth tries to appeal to his sensitive side, saying to not make his sweet, sweet mother worry about his safety, then offering him a pork bowl as he listens to some sad music. Kaiser begins crying, saying he'll confess everything. Over his dead body! <laughs> Heck yeah, dude! High five! Reaching their limit, Team Rocket calls in one of their new robots, a grabby-handed one that restrains and begins tickling Kaiser, which definitely triggered someone's kink senses, for sure. Finally giving in, he agrees to tell the Rocket Trio where to find Dratini. Meanwhile, Ash's group is watching Misty Fish, using her own custom lure that looks like a miniature version of her. Within moments of casting it, she catches a bite. With it being so large, the whole group has to help her pull it out, revealing it to be a fully grown Gyarados. Unfortunately for them, before anyone can move to catch it, the line snaps and it falls right back into the water. Their disappointment is short-lived, however, as Kaiser approaches them, still being tickled by the robot and begging for help. Ash has Pikachu zap it, freeing Kaiser but electrocuting him and the machine in the process. Kaiser then, in desperation, says that Dratini does exist and that Team Rocket is going to steal it, begging for Ash's group to help. Team Rocket at the Rocky Lake is already hard at work, with James and Meowth scuba diving while Jesse keeps a lookout. As Jesse yells at the two to stop complaining and work, she notices Dratini just sitting there, peeking its head out and watching them like the cute little snake it is. Smitten by how adorable it is, Jessie accidentally steps on the air hoses, starting the process of drowning her two teammates. Jessie begins calmly talking to it, slowly luring it closer and closer. 
before the other two burst out of the water for air, scaring the Dratini away. I love her scream. <laughs> While Jesse yells at the two for scaring it away, Meowth proposes a plan B. A time bomb that will explode in the water and cause everything to rise to the surface. Most likely dead, but don't worry about that part. He just says they'll be stunned. Before they're able to plant the explosive, Ash's group shows up on the other side of the water, ordering them to stop. Jesse asks if Ash caught any Pokemon, with him proudly declaring that every Safari Ball is full and he won the challenge. Using this distraction, Jesse then chucks the bomb into the water, saying it's too soon for him to be a winner. Kaiser, with zero hesitation, jumps in after it, with Ash trying to follow but being stopped by Misty. He then assures her that he'll be fine, and jumps in after the Warden. Concerned, Misty sends her Staryu to help. Despite her having a Starmie and Horsey, and Ash having a Squirtle, that's the only Pokemon that anyone thinks to send out for help. Kaiser begins to run low on air, still not having found the bomb. Ash catches up to him on Staryu, giving him the Pokemon so he can quickly surface for breath while Ash continues to search. With a minute left on the timer, Ash manages to find the device on the lake bottom, but struggles swimming to the surface on such little oxygen left. Just as Kaiser reaches the surface himself, Ash runs out of air and begins to slowly fall unconscious to the bottom of the water, dying for another time in this series. A shadow then passes over his body as a storm quickly starts with a whirlpool forming on the water's surface. A beam of light shoots out from it as a Dragonair rises from the water with a conscious Ash riding its back. Ash returns the bomb to Team Rocket, which explodes just as they catch it, blasting them away. Kaiser meets the Dragonair on the water's edge recognizing it as the same Dratini he met 30 years ago, due to the similar scar on its horn. He happily hugs it, proud of how it's grown and glad to see it had a child. Somehow, since there's not another Dragonair around to have mated with it. Maybe it's hiding, or a deadbeat, who knows. Back at the office, Ash promises Oak that he won't share the secret location of the two dragons, and then says that he sent the Pokemon he caught over to the professor's lab. Oak, initially excited to see what new Pokemon he gets to look after, becomes quickly terrified when he receives nothing but 30 Tauros. Later that day, making the poor decision to hike at sunset again, Ash's group waves farewell to Kaiser, while Dragonair and Dratini watch from the sky, crying out their own goodbye. Man, there's a decent amount to say about this episode, so... I guess I'll start by saying that I am so, so sad we didn't get this one. It's such a fun episode! Team Rocket's attempts to get Kaiser to talk, the actual drama with Ash drowning and being saved by a Dragonair in a legitimately cool moment, the parachute scene, and Ash's 30 Tauros that everyone in the West thought came out of nowhere. All of these are incredible moments! I love this episode so much! Now, obviously we didn't get this episode due to four kids deeming the gun usage too dark, but I think it's a really lame and flimsy reason. Like I said, they had guns pointed at Ash before, multiple times, including the episode right before this one. So was it just the frequency of it all? And if it really was that big of a deal, here's my proposal. Make it a cork gun. Just draw a cork on the end of it, explicitly say it's a cork gun, and it wouldn't even feel extremely out of place with the nonsense Pokemon does. 
They've even done stuff like this before, swapping out guns with pointed fingers in Yu-Gi-Oh! or putting a lollipop over a cigarette in One Piece. So I feel like it's not a stretch to suggest this either. Which makes me think that another reason this episode was never dubbed was because of the scene where Ash drowns. I feel like maybe that, combined with the gun usage, just made this go over the thin line four kids used to decide what was too dark for kids. That's just my theory though, I can't prove anything, but I think it's a very valid thought. Another thing that's kind of funny to me about this episode, caused by how early it is, is how they make such a big deal over Dratini. Like sure, it's a rarer Pokemon, but so many people in this series get a Dragonite. Lance has one, Iris gets one, the champion of the Orange Islands has one, and even Ash eventually gets one. They make a massive deal over a Pokemon that just everyone gets later. That's just kind of funny to me. Anyway, all in all, this is a fantastic episode. Maybe I'm just blinded by the fact that this is kind of a forbidden fruit of an episode, but I don't know. I think it really is just that good. And even if it's not, treat yourself a little bit. Take a look at an episode opening and closing that you might not have seen, or don't see that often at least. Have some fun with your life. Okay, next up we have episode 36, The Bridge Bike Gang. Synopsis. Continuing past the Safari Zone, our heroes come across a massive bridge that can only be crossed effectively by bike. Agreeing to deliver medicine in exchange for some bike rentals, the group make their way across, but are harassed by an aggressive gang that seems to have ties to Jesse and James. Leaving the safari zone that never happened in the dub, the group discusses what they're going to eat as they walk through a new city. Ash, seeing a tiny bit of a wire bridge through the trees, immediately has his manky brain go off and rushes to get a better look. The bridge is revealed to be massive, stretching far across the water. Brock explains that it must have just finished construction, and is the most direct route to Sunnytown, their next destination. Reaching the gate to the bridge, a man happily stops them, saying, Oh, the bridge isn't actually finished, and besides, it's for cars only, as it's a whole ten miles long, and it would become nighttime before anyone could cross it. He then says that bikes are allowed to cross, though, just as some ride by, as the bike path is finished and quick enough to make in a timely manner. Ash laments that he doesn't have a bike, with Misty taking this opportunity to rub in his face that he still owes her one after destroying hers. The group then goes to look at bikes in a shop, but realize they can't afford it, and head to the Pokemon Center to think. Let's go to the Pokemon Center and figure out a plan. Sounds good to me. I'll probably come up with a brilliant idea. Well, what's your brilliant plan? Will you be quiet? I'm still thinking of it. Nurse Joy then approaches the trio and asks for a favor. Brock accepts without hearing what the favor is, and then immediately puts down the Joy in Gringy City by saying this one is much prettier. Nurse Joy, ignoring his advances, explains that a Pokemon in Sunnytown is sick and needs medicine she has, but she's unable to cross the bridge as she has her own sick Pokemon to deal with. In exchange for the group helping, she's more than happy to lend them some bikes, which Ash and Misty agree to eagerly. Brock tries to stay behind to keep Nurse Joy company, but Misty drags him away. As the familiar bike theme plays, the group speeds down the path, Ash and Pikachu on one bike and Misty and Brock sharing another. Team Rocket, rowing on an inflatable raft below, spies on them. 
Jesse and James tell Meowth that they're deeply familiar with this place and begin to prepare their attack. Ash and Co. stop at the rest area for some drinks, but just as they're about to continue on their way, some rock music blares their way as a gang of punk-styled bikers rushes towards them. And by bikers, I of course mean regular cyclists, not motorcyclists. Brock worries regardless, and suggests they all leave before they get in trouble with the gang. Unfortunately, they're a bit too slow and get completely surrounded. The leader then warns that they're not allowed to pass the bridge without a proper introduction. Oh, it's a it's pleasure. A very nice to meet you. See you again, again sometime. sometime. That's no introduction. The gang insists on the battle while Brock hits on the one girl in the group who immediately beats him down. Ash accepts the battle with the leader sending out a golem. A surprisingly strong Pokemon for it roughly only being halfway through the gyms. Bulbasaur is chosen as the Rock's challenger, vine whipping it to little effect as the golem rolls into a ball. It then tackles Bulbasaur, causing Ash to call it back. Ash then, in his infinite wisdom, sends out Charmander, who tries to ember the golem, spinning around in a little bit of a cute flourish. The golem tries to rock slam it, basically just throwing itself at the Charmander, but misses. Charmander retaliates with a flamethrower and fire spin, but Golem seems okay and is ordered to tackle Wall on Fire. I guess it was coated in oil, or maybe its rocks are just flammable. Sadly for the bikers, Charmander dodges its rolling tackle, and the Golem runs straight for the gang, causing several of their butts to catch fire as well. Ash and Charmander laugh haughtily as the leader sadly recalls his Pokemon, burning his hand on his now hot Pokeball. The girl Brock hit on walks up next, sending out Cloyster. Misty, seeing that it's a water Pokemon, asks Ash if she can take over. She momentarily thinks about which of her mon to use, eventually deciding on Starmie, before Psyduck throws itself into the fight. With Misty yelling at it and then resigning herself and going, Fine, might as well try since you're out. The bikers all laugh at Psyduck, to Misty's embarrassment. She then has Psyduck use Tail Whip, causing the gang, and even Ash, to just laugh harder. Backing up its tail into the cloister, it accidentally pokes itself on one of the spikes, causing it to fly up in pain. Misty then tries to have it use Scratch, but it pokes itself again and starts running around screaming. Misty then orders Psyduck to try and use its psychic attack, but it's unable to due to not having a bad enough headache. She then starts cheering for the cloister to bite Psyduck's head, but after that doesn't work either, Misty angrily picks up a bike to slam on the duck's head while Brock desperately tries to hold her back. But before she can enact the super fun plan, a siren blares in the distance, as Team Rocket approaches dressed in punk outfits and riding unicycles, with Meowth also riding one, but dressed as a ringleader with a whip instead. They do some sick swerving between cups on the ground as they motto off, and then coolly greet the boy and girl leader of the bikers, who proudly greet them back as Big Jess and Little Jim. Jesse tells Ash that they used to have a reputation around these parts, with the bikers going on to say that Jesse was known to bike along while swinging a chain above her head, while James was the only one in the gang that needed training wheels. They're in their, like, mid-teens for these memories, by the way. And the bikers love them for this. Fun fact, this episode and the school episode make it really hard for people to put together a cohesive backstory for Jesse and James. The school episode implies, but this one almost completely states that the two knew each other before Team Rocket, and also both lived in this town's area at some point. 
Both of these facts are contradictory to later episodes where we learn where these two live their youths and the fact that they first met when joining Team Rocket. So you really have to finagle around with the lore to make it work? My personal idea is that they were in the school and gang at different times, and then when they joined Team Rocket, it came up in conversation at some point, and they both realized that they were part of them. Just a theory, though! A Pokemon theory! But I see you're still into kid stuff, riding around on bicycles. Real gangs ride unicycles. I guess your cycle gang must save a ton of money on handlebars. After bragging that they're part of Team Rocket, to the amazement of the bikers, Jesse and James recruit the gang to attack Ash's group, with the Pokey crew fleeing the charging rebels. Just as things are looking bad, another siren blares as Jenny and an entire squadron of cop cars rushes towards the commotion, scaring off the bikers and rockets. After the group explains the situation too, and Brock hits on Jenny, she offers to give them a police escort. However, she very conveniently gets an alert about an accident, and heads off to check it out when Ash says that they'll be fine on their own. One, a local gang threatens some out-of-towners trying to deliver medicine, and you think they'll be fine as they continue around gang territory. That does not equal a good situation. And two, what about the ten other squad cars you rode in on with? Are they bored enough to break up a bicycle gang, but too busy to escort kids on a life-saving journey? These guys suck. Ash's group gets moving, just as a massive storm blows in from out of nowhere in literal seconds. The Rockets watch from inside the biker's secret club base building by the bridge, thankful that they're not in the storm. However, the gang misinterprets their watching as a desire to be in the storm, knowing they could easily ride in it, and ask to be led into the storm behind them. Meowth tries to get out of it, but the bikers drag him along too, being like, Oh, we'd never leave you behind, Meowth! I wish I could go with ya. Meowth, we'd never leave you behind. <sighs> Side note, as a kid, and even somewhat today, I would daydream about having my own secret base thing. It'd just be super cool to have a hidden, private, customized area away from, or even at home. So, just wanted to say, I'm really jealous of these dang cyclists. The nurse Joy in Sunnytown worries that the group may not make it in time, as they're already late and the storm just makes things worse. The main trio, still pedaling through the storm, come to a drawbridge just as a ship passes under it, causing it to rise up. Brock says that they'll need to wait, but Ash, unwilling to wait the seven or so minutes it would take at most, declares the sick Pokemon needs its medicine and prepares to jump the bridge, with Brock and Misty reluctantly doing so as well. Team Rocket, still on their unicycles, also look at the drawbridge and are pushed by the gang to jump it. They are not happy with this idea, but reluctantly do it anyway. Both groups pedal up at the same time and meet each other mid-air. Despite the camera showing Jesse and James higher than the group, Ash is suddenly a full body higher than them and uses Jesse's head as a bounce pad, with Brock and Misty doing the same thing on James, landing safely on the other side while Team Rocket falls into the rough, stormy waters below. The bikers are impressed by the stunt, but still insist on the battle. Ash, having had enough nonsense for one day, tells them he's delivering medicine, and the bikers proudly call him a real biker. Giving the group an escort across the rest of the bridge, they let them get the medicine to Nurse Joy just in time. The medicine instantly heals a sick shelter to full health, and the group celebrates. 
The bikers give our heroes their own nicknames, with the male biker sounding like he has a stuffy nose and Brock making another move. From now on, we're calling you Awesome Ash! Mighty Misty! Well, gosh, uh, I'm not really that awesome! You could call me Honey! <laughs> the narrator recaps the ending we just saw as we get a shot of the bridge appearing in the sunlight. It then cuts to Team Rocket, stacked up on one of each other, unicycling out of the water and onto a beach, lamenting their new failure. There are a shocking amount of fun filler episodes in the middle of the series. Like, sadly none of them have much commentary to be made, but watching them, you won't be upset you spent time enjoying them. I may have said this before, but I think it's around here, about the halfway point of the original series, that they really finally understand roughly what they want the original Pokemon to be. Not the series as a whole, I don't think they fully figure that out until Gen 3, but early Pokemon from this point on until around Hoenn will have a very similar feel. They really have to stretch concepts as far as they can go in Gen 1 and even Gen 2 due to lack of source material. Everything just has a level of silliness around it, but is just shy of being overly cartoonish. Obviously the animation is, but the characters and even some of the situations get a little bit less absurd, but not to the point of realism, or as close as Pokemon gets to that later in the series. They're basically towing the line of character. There's always this sense of self-awareness to it all, like, yeah, we know you're watching a show where people have monsters fight, let's all have fun with it. Later Pokemon, for better or worse, I think loses this. I understand why they suddenly became a way bigger franchise than they expected and suddenly need to put a bit more thought into everything, but we really did lose something that, no matter how hard they try, I don't think they'll ever be able to bring back. Anyway, this episode is some good fun. Go watch it if you can. Hello guys, it's Intro Ryan again, back talking to you once more. I'm still not at PAX, don't, don't think I am, don't start that hunt yet, but um, thank you for listening, it, it means a lot to me, um, your support is greatly appreciated, and this podcast is slowly growing, it's making me happy to see it slowly get more and more noticed. So just a heads up for next week's episode, it's going to be a bit of a doozy, and that is because we are covering the Porygon episode, the Jinx Holiday episode, and Snow Way Out, which doesn't have too many talking points, but is notable for a couple small reasons. So yeah, I'm actually really excited for next week. It's shaping up to be a really, really fun lineup. So keep an eye out for that. I, I'm really excited for it, actually. Other than that, please make sure to follow or subscribe or whatever the service you're using to listen to this has. And if you could leave a rating or something, if your service allows that, that would, that would make my day. That would just fill me with Butterfreeze. And now, I will bid you adieu. That, that's gamer talk for goodbye. So have a great morning, day, evening, night, outside of space-time, whatever. Just have a good one. Bye.